0: Hey, New Hope Church, how are you guys doing? Good? You're doing good? All right, it's so good to be together. Hey, I wanna take a minute and welcome all of our uh, campus locations. And if you're watching on iCampus or Facebook Live, we're so glad to have you with us. My name is George Franco. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. I am not the senior pastor. I'm just the guy that gets to speak to you today. And, um, and I have the awesome privilege, though, to serve with our, our senior pastor, Pastor Benji Kelly, and uh, this amazing New Hope staff across all of our locations. Hey, if you love our staff, could you just celebrate them? Yeah, they're amazing. An amazing group of people. They're committed to you. They love God, and they love you. And so I just love being part of this team. So if you don't know, our senior pastor has been on sabbatical this summer and it's just a time where he's been uh, getting a little extra rest. He's been spending time with his family. He's got two boys headed off to college uh, this fall for the first time. And uh, he's been listening to God and uh, saying, hey God, what do you have for New Hope in this next season in our community? And he's doing absolutely amazing. Every week I talk to him and uh, he sounds like he's getting plenty of rest, but he says the same things to me. He says, man, I miss the people of New Hope. He can't wait to get back with you guys. And, um, and then he misses preaching. He loves to preach and be here on stage and teach to our church. Um, and then he said, hey, but the good news is God's telling me some awesome things and I can't wait to share that with the church in just a few short weeks. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm from the great state of Indiana. I'm a Hoosier. We have any Hoosiers? Yeah, I love that. We have some Hoosiers, and um, so Hoosiers are known for a few things. One is basketball, two is racing, three is corn, and it's not necessarily that we're known for it in those order, um, but corn is everywhere in Indiana, right? It's, there's farms as far as the eye can see, and there's corn and corn and corn, and I grew up on a farm just north of Indianapolis, and uh, growing up on a farm is amazing. Did anybody grow up on a farm? Yeah, a few people, a few people out there did, um, but growing up on a farm's awesome because we had cows and pigs and chickens and tractors and barns, and there was a lot for a boy to get into when I was growing up, and um, I have a brother who's about 10 years older than me, and so if there's any of you that have older, older siblings, you can start doing the math, and you're like, oh, wow, his parents were probably about 40 years old by the time they had him, and that would be right. And so my older brother comes up to me all the time and you younger siblings will appreciate this, but my older brother comes up and says, George, you owe me, you owe me big time. And I'm like, why do I owe you anything? And he was like, because like I was the first, I put our parents through everything, I broke them in. So when it got to your age, right, they went easy on you. And I said, hey, by time I was a teenager, our parents were in their fifties and they were not broken in, they were just tired. They just got tired at that age, right? So um, my brother and I go back and forth over that, but they were a little bit tired, and I did get into a fair amount of mischief for a young boy, and um, one day out on the farm, I was about eight years old, I come out, my dad is burning some brush out in the pasture, and it's... You know, um, brushes, it's really green. It's not starting on fire very easily. And so I'm just watching dad uh, work this little fire and pretty soon he reaches in the back of his pickup truck, grabs a can of gas, pours it in a cup and he throws it on the fire. And what happened? Boom, a great big flame, a fireball. And my eyes just lit up. I was like, wow, you know, what 10 year old boy doesn't love pyrotechnics, right? For that matter, what 50 year old boy doesn't like pyrotechnics? That's pretty awesome. And so I'm watching this whole thing go down and dad does it a couple more times. And about the third time he does it, just as he's throwing the gas on the fire, he looks out and he sees my face and he does what every one of your parents has probably done at some point in time. And what you swore you would never do as a parent once you got to be a parent, he comes to me and says, hey, don't do as I do, do as I say. Like this is dangerous. Like I really even shouldn't be doing this right now. This isn't something that should happen. I I should do it the right way, but I'm in a hurry. I want to get the chores done today. And this is dangerous. If you do it, it could hurt you. And I'm like, okay, Dad. And he said, Tell me you'll never. Tell me you won't do this. And I'm like, Dad, I won't do this today. And I'm not kidding. Literally, the very next day, my dad goes off to work. My mom's in the house cooking dinner. And I, I am out roaming the farm. And I go buy our burn barrel. And I'm like, oh, there's some trash in there. And so I get a book of matches. I light a fire. And I'm like, hmm, it's not burning very well. What do you do when something doesn't burn very well? Gas. So I run to the garage and I'm looking around. Mom's not outside. I'm like, great. I find the gas can. I get a mason jar. I kneel down. I put the mason jar between my legs. I grab the gas and I start pouring. But while I'm pouring, I'm on the lookout because I don't have a brother who's watching out for me. And I'm looking around and I'm like, if mom comes out, I'm in real big trouble at this point. And so I'm pouring gas and some of it's making the mason jar, but most of it's going on the floor and on my pants all around. And I finally get enough in the jar that I think it's worth making a run for the burn barrel. So I jump up, I run towards the burn barrel, I throw the gas into the fire and boom, a great big fireball, it was amazing. It went straight up in the sky, it was awesome. But what I didn't know at eight years old was that flames follow fumes. And what I didn't do was let go of the mason jar, I held onto it. So at this point, there's a fireball, not only going up in the sky, but now it's coming right at me. Now my eyes are really wide open because I don't know what to do. This didn't happen to my dad the day before. So I turned to run. And as I turned to run, I dropped the mason jar. It hits my pants. The flames fall, the fumes to my pants, ignite my pants on fire. And now I'm an eight-year-old fireball running through the (laughs) countryside. And I was trucking. Like, I was like, I don't know if I could outrun the flames. I was like pushing as hard as I could. I was like, they'll go out. I was was waving them down. I was trying to get those flames to go out. And as I'm trucking through our backyard, I remembered this public service announcement that maybe... (laughs) Some of you guys remember from the 80s. It was from Schoolhouse Rock. Stop, drop, and roll. That's right. And so I did. I hit the deck. I rolled all the way down our backyard. I got to the end of the backyard. I looked down. My pants are still on fire. I'm like, I rolled all the way back up the backyard. And I looked down. My pants are still on fire. I'm like, so much for a public service announcement. So at this point, I jump up and I run down our side yard and our side yard passes right in front of our kitchen window, which is slightly elevated. And as I'm running by with my hands in the air, screaming, help, help, I'm on fire. My mom's in the window peeling potatoes. Now I go by her, she doesn't even pause. She doesn't think like, what just happened there? She's just got her head down one peel at a time, one. And I'm like, my parents were super tired. I mean, they were just... (laughs) They weren't broken in. They were just tired. She didn't even think about it. So I make it to the front yard, spin around, come back by the window again, screaming, help, help. I'm on fire. Mom doesn't move. I make it to the backyard. I'm finally back to the backyard again. But at this point I'm out of options and I have no idea what's getting ready to happen in my life. And there's a one moment where I was like, hey, God, it's been a good eight years. (laughs) I made some friends. I've done some things. And uh, eight years goes by really fast. you know. There's not a whole lot to think about, but I'm like, I'm mailing it in, I'm done. And at that moment I remembered that a contractor had been working on our house and he had just installed a faucet that was waist high. And I run around the house and sure enough, there's the faucet, I turn it on and I just stand underneath there, I kept turning side to side, trying to get as much water to run over me as possible. And the flames finally went out. And uh, long story short, within an hour, my parents knew what happened. It was bad. My, uh, apparently, eight-year-old boys don't take showers in the middle of the afternoon. And my mom came in and said, what's going on? And lo- long story short, I end up in a burn unit in about an hour, about 40 miles away from our house. And I had to go through a lot of uh, physical therapy and uh, eventually plastic surgery. I had third-degree burns all over my legs. My, the skin was dead on my legs. And so what I didn't tell you, at this season of our family's life, my parents were making a lot of sacrifices for us already. My mom had lost her job. We had no insurance. My brother was in his first year of college. And my dad's company was just getting ready to declare bankruptcy. And things were really tight financially. And here I go and do something that has big consequences financially for our family. So my parents are driving 40 miles one way just to to visit with me. There was no extra money. There was no going down to the cafeteria and getting a snack or a coffee. uh, They were packing bologna sandwiches and potato chips to come and sit with me and to eat. And they're trying to figure out how in the world can we get the money that we need to pay the hospital and the doctors to make sure that our little boy gets healthy again. And this is something I'll never forget as long as I live. I learned it at a really early age, was that there were three families that decided to give up some of the things that they wanted to buy in life and instead give that money to my parents and make a sacrifice so that my parents could help me become healthy again, that I could go from being an ill little boy to a really healthy little boy. And when those things happen in life, when the deck's stacked against us, when we've lost all hope and someone makes one of those sacrifices in our life, isn't it almost unforgettable? Doesn't it leave a lasting impression on your mind when somebody makes that type of sacrifice for you? And it may be like you're thinking right now, it might've been a teacher in school who stayed after class to help you. It might've been a coach who helped you get through a difficult situation. It might be a grandparent who watched you through the summertime. Um, It could be a military person. We often think of them making great sacrifices for us. They go away from their families for a really long time and some of them lay down their life for us so that we could have freedom, that we could have a different and a better life. And then I like to get really practical. When I think of sacrifices, I come down to even where we're sitting at today. The chair that you're sitting in, the building that you're sitting in, the technology that you're watching this message through all came through someone's sacrifice. There's a point where somebody made a decision and said, I have resources, I have time, I have talents, I have money, and I'm gonna make a decision to forego doing something else with those. And I'm gonna give them so that somebody could hear the message of Jesus. And I think when we receive the benefits of someone else's sacrifice, that it becomes life-changing for us. It makes an impression so deep inside of our heart that something has to change within us. And so the Apostle John, uh, he realized this principle, experienced this principle in his own life. And we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 3 today. And uh, John is talking to this group of uh, believers that have gathered together and much like we're gathered together today as a church, and they're kind of arguing over what it means to be a true Christ follower. What does it look like to be a child of God? And John comes to try and set the record straight to try and help them clear up any confusion that they're having. And he starts in verse 11 by saying this, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So John, who had literally walked with Jesus, the son of God who came from heaven down to earth and walked the earth, John walked with him. John saw him do tons of miracles, saw him do amazing things. John sat and had dinner with Jesus. John was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died for us. And John, who saw the gospel, the good news of Jesus explode through the world and the countryside and saw many, many people accept who Jesus is and his love for, his great love for us. John, who saw many of his friends not only accept that love, but carry that love deep into the world, like Paul and Peter and Stephen and John's own brother, James, they all gave up their life for the good news of the gospel They made a big sacrifice with their life for the gospel. John comes to this group of believers, and he starts this passage out by saying, hey, just remember that the gospel is grounded in love and sacrifice. And then he goes on in verse 12, and he says, we must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And John takes a story that's been passed down for generations about the very first family. He says, hey, inside this family, there's these two boys. And these two boys have very different attitudes about God. And how we find out that they have very different attitudes about God is by their actions. They both have an opportunity to bring to God an offering. And Abel, when he brings his offering, he brings the very best, the very finest that he has. Abel comes to God with an open hand. He says, God, here it is. You gave it to me, I'm giving it back to you. We see that Abel had a heart of gratitude when he approached God. But Cain comes to God and Cain has a much different attitude. He, he brought some crops and said, hey, there they are. His attitude was a lot less grateful towards God. He was a little bit more closed handed. He's like, hey, I put a lot of work into these crops. I worked really, really hard for them. These are really my crops. They just didn't happen on their own. And we see the differences in their attitudes of how they approach God, where their heart was in relation to God. And we see that Abel's heart is one that even though he looks at his brother and his brother has a much different attitude, he didn't hate his brother for that. He understood that's where Cain's at today. Cain, on the other hand, looked at his brother and his attitude towards God and he hated it. He was jealous, he was envious. He didn't like it. And he hated it so much that the scripture tells us that he took his brother's most valuable possession, his life. And what John is saying to this group of believers here is that people have different attitudes and hearts towards God. It's often shown in their actions. And so when you're in the world today and you're inviting somebody to come to church or you're telling somebody that you're gonna show up at church this, that you're gonna go to church this weekend for your weekend plans. And they say, why are you wasting your time doing that church thing? Or when you... um, Tell someone that, hey, I'd love for you to come to church with me. And they're like, I don't do the church thing. That faith in God is just a crutch. Like that's for weak people. John says, don't be surprised when the world around us has that attitude because their heart isn't changed yet. Their actions are showing a picture of where their heart is and they're just not there yet. So don't be surprised. Then he goes on in verse 14 he says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life but a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. And John brings this whole argument down. He narrows it down to this simple little phrase. He says, if you really wanna know what it's like to love God, to love God means that you love others. To love God means that you love others. In fact, at this point, John goes a little bit more specific. He says, your brothers and sisters, he's not talking about humanity. He's not talking about look around, and see the people around you. He's actually talking about look around and see the person in front of you. Look to your left and look to your right. He's talking to a group of believers who are gathered together, much like we as a church are gathered together. And so today, look to the person to your left. You might know that person, look to the person to your right. Maybe you know them in front of you, behind you. John's saying if you really, really love that person that's sitting next to you, then you won't be a slave to resentment, bitterness, hate, greed, jealousy. And it's then that you know that you're, you've passed over from death to life is the way he puts it. That God's love gives life to us. He says, that's the way that you're gonna know that you're a Christian. And then John does something that's really interesting. He contrasts that picture really quickly with the story of Cain and Abel. And he says, hey, look at Cain. Cain didn't love. Cain was a hater. And haters are takers. They take things. Haters take life. They don't give life. And so the question comes down to what is real love. And John begins to answer that in the next verse. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. What is real love? Jesus did what? He gave. He did what? He gave. He gave his life for us. And so when it came time for Jesus to show his attitude through his actions, what was Jesus's attitude towards us? Well, his actions showed that he laid down his very best. He didn't go to the pantry and find the old crackers, the stale ones that are way in the back corner or that can of fish that had dust on it and bring that. He didn't go into his car coin box and scrape out the pennies and the quarters that were all stuck together and bring them for his offering to us. He didn't take that suit that was in the closet that's 20 years old and doesn't fit and is out of style. He didn't lay that down. In fact, Jesus's attitude towards us was that I love them so much. I'm bringing my very, very best, the most valuable possession I have. I'm gonna lay down my life for them. Jesus's actions towards us showed us that lovers are givers. Haters are takers but lovers are people that give. And Jesus says that, hey, if you love me, you'll follow my example and you'll be people who give sacrificially to others as well. And so what does giving look like? Well, this is what it says. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, they should not make eye contact. They should look like they're texting. They should tell them that they don't carry cash. I just have credit cards. And always, always, always tell someone that you love them, that God loves them. No, that's not what the Bible says at all. That's what my Bible says sometimes. It's hard, isn't it? When we're faced with those situations, it's very difficult for us. Here's what John says. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. What does love require? Action. It's a phrase that we've heard um, young and old in our relationships, in our parenting relationships, we hear this a lot. Is our actions speak louder than our words. Actions speak louder than our words. Isn't it really true? People can say stuff to you all day long until they actually do something, then you know they mean it. And John's telling this group of believers that the Christian life is meant to be action-oriented. It's meant to be demonstrated and to be lived out, not just said in words. I don't know if you guys saw this story a few months ago, um, Panama City Beach, there's a family on vacation, two boys go out on a boogie board and they get swept out in a riptide into the ocean. And um, the mom sees them. She panics. She jumps in the ocean, tries to chase them down and pull them back in. She gets caught and sucked out. Another two ladies um, pursue them. They get sucked out. Now there's five people at risk of dying in the ocean. So a guy is standing on the beach, and he's thinking about, what do I do? What do I do? And he starts yelling, help, help, help. I need you guys to come and help. And he just keeps calling for people to come. And as people began to show up, he lined one guy up at the edge of the water and he said, hey, you stand this way and put your arm out. As the next person came, he had them grab this person's arm and then put their other arm out. And he told this guy to take a step out in the ocean. The next person came and the same thing happened. They joined arms with a the person. They all took a step out in the ocean. And before long, he had assembled a group of over 80 people who extended out into the ocean and they formed a human bridge. And this is a picture of it. In the next picture, you'll see that this bridge is almost ready to connect with the five people that are out there in the waves. Love is an action. It had been absurd for the group of people to stand on the beach and shout out, hey, we love you guys. Hey, you're, you're gonna be fine, we think. It's shark week. <laughs> but no, thankfully, This group of people responded in a much different way. They sprung into action. They did something. They put their own lives at risk. Something that was valuable, their most valuable possession, they're willing to risk that to save five other people. Love is an action. It takes involvement. And this is what I believe God's trying to get us to see, that when we're willing to sacrifice, when we're willing to give up our possessions, the things that are meaningful to us in life, that we end up valuing other people the way that God values us. That when we live sacrificially and put love into action, that we value others the same way that God values us. And when we do that, it's that moment that we become more like Jesus. It's in that moment that we become the most like Jesus. And that's where we really begin to experience the blessed life, his greatest blessings for us. I think oftentimes the hardest thing is letting go of of some of those blessings as they come in, right? And um, I think in my own life, it took me almost 40 years to get one of my biggest blessings and it's called a red Ducati motorcycle. (laughs) 40 years, that's a long time to wait for that bike to come. And I got Duke, you know it's valuable to me when I name it Duke. I know some of you don't like that name and it's not blue, it's red, so. um, But Duke is my bike, it's my baby. I wash Duke, I wipe down all the fingerprints off of Duke, right? I get all the maintenance done, the oil changes done. My wife and I, we moved from Charlotte, um, from a house to an apartment. And when we got here, I got Duke an apartment. It's called a garage. I'm like, I don't want Duke to be out in the elements. I want Duke to be safe. And I don't want anybody to take Duke from me because I just got Duke. And those good things that God provides us with in life, so often we want to hold on to them. And I think that's one of our challenges as Christians that oftentimes we take God's blessings and we live as a reservoir versus a river. A reservoir kind of holds on and accumulates things. A river lets them flow through them. And I've traveled all over the world. I've had chances to go to a lot of cool places. But when you're in an airplane, you see the world from a different perspective, literally, right? And when you're up in the air, I look down and I I see these massive reservoirs like Lake Mead that feeds the Hoover Dam is a massive reservoir. It has 750 miles of shoreline. It's massive. And anywhere there's water, there's an opportunity for life. And so as you fly over that reservoir, you'll see all around the fringes, you'll see life sprouting up, green trees, green grass. You'll see buildings, businesses, school systems that are built around that reservoir. But the reservoir holds that body of water. It doesn't move very far, right? It leaches water out around its edges, and it can only reach that footprint it has. But when I fly over the continent of Africa, you see the Nile River, 4,500 miles long from North Carolina to Hawaii. North Carolina to Hawaii, 4,500 miles long, two miles wide for miles and miles on either side of the Nile River, you see greenery. You see life popping up. You see businesses and schools. Things are thriving around the Nile River. And I think our challenge as Christians is like, hey, how do we take God's blessings and how do we open up? How do we let them flow? Like this is our opportunity as Christians. Can you believe this? This is how good God is. God continues to bestow blessing after blessing after blessing. He's a river that doesn't dry up in our life. And if we open up, those blessings continue to flow through us. God chooses to use his blessings that he's giving to us to flow through us to reach other people so that they too can be blessed. Isn't that amazing to think of? We gotta find ways, just like this, I I think back to this bridge of people, they're more like a river. How they extend from the shoreline to the ocean to retrieve those people and bring them back to life. And when our love and our bodies become more like a river and less like a reservoir, it actually moves people from death to life. Imagine what it would look like if Christians loved one another so much that we we're willing to sacrifice. What if you could look to the person to your left and to your right, or the person in front or behind you, and really say to them, I love you, and not only say it with your words, but do it with your actions. What would that look like? What would be the needs of the person to the left or to the right of you? How could you show them that you love them? I just take those down into practical experiences because I think of us as a body of believers. We come together every week to learn and to worship, to learn about God and to worship Him. And when we come together, do you realize that it takes almost a thousand people across the movement to serve our brothers and sisters? That's a need, right? It's from from seeing the Mickey hands at the street to the pop signs that say, Hey, smile, you look amazing today. That's the one I like because I think I look amazing today. I want to look amazing today anyway. And then the ushers and the greeters who serve us so well. And the core team, like what amazing worship. And then think about in Hopetown, that someone has your child right now. It's not that they're babysitting them or taking care of them. They're actually loving on them, teaching them the message of Jesus, that Jesus loved them so great that he gave his life for them that they're growing up knowing the truth about God and they're beginning to put their love into action. What about our students in Axis who are learning more and more about God? A couple weeks ago, uh, some of our students went to this camp called Big Stuff. It was down at Panama City Beach and they went down to play some games and uh, have some fun together, build some community. And they also went down to Big Stuff um, to worship God and to hear more about him. There was a group of kids that were on that trip that didn't know Jesus, and they weren't going to be able to go because they couldn't afford the cost to be on the trip. And a little known fact is that there were some families here at New Hope that began giving, that said, hey, we don't need to use this money to do this this month. We're instead going to give that money so that a student can go on this trip and hear the message of Jesus. And do you know that all those students who didn't know Jesus, who got scholarshiped, came faith in him that week. Isn't that amazing? Yes, we can celebrate that. Our North Durham campus is getting ready to launch. September, they'll start soft launch meetings where they'll kind of gather together in October, the doors will be open to reach a whole new area to bring life to it, just like a river does. It'll take over 80 volunteers to serve every single week to reach that community for Jesus. Two years ago, we started this project here at New Hope called Hope Rising. You guys might have been here for the start of it. If you're not, I want to share a little bit about it with you because the project's idea was all about being a river and giving life. It was about taking our resources and sacrificially laying them down so that the message of Jesus could go out to people and move them, change their heart, do something big in their life, move them from death to life. And... The idea was that we were gonna expand some of our campuses, that we're gonna renovate some of them, re-equip some, and we're gonna launch new ones. And we're gonna be like a river that flowed deep and wide throughout the entire world. And so this is what our church did. We committed to giving $6.6 million. And this is where we're at. We're at $4.4 million. Can we celebrate (laughs) that? That's awesome. We're two years in, you guys are doing great but you can see there's still a need. And so it doesn't matter whether you're here when it started or whether you made a commitment and you fulfilled your commitment, like there's still a need. And if we have resources, it's our opportunity to give so that other people's needs will be met, that other people will pass over from death to life. Last week, we gathered together as a church and we celebrated this one day event. And one of the phrases that was in that, that Pastor Joe used, was that love precedes life change. And for love to precede life change, that means love has to be in action based upon what John's telling us in the scripture today. That we have to be willing to sacrificially lay something down that's valuable to us so that other people will cross over from death into life. And so as you guys came into whatever room that you're in today, you were given two Pieces of paper. One is this program. On the back of the program is a place where maybe you've been taking notes, or maybe you've been doodling, and either is okay. Um, but at the bottom of it, there's this place where you can fill out your name, and you can put your best contact information, and and then there's all these six categories of places to serve. And so, the message, just saying the message today wouldn't do us any good. John just told us that in the scripture that we can't be a church. We can't be a body of believers that just says love, that we have to be love in action. And so if you're not serving, here's your opportunity to think about, like all you're gonna do by checking a box on here is allow somebody to reach out to you and talk to you about what your key what a key serving opportunity might be, what it would look like, how many times a month that you might need to serve, <clears throat> what that time commitment will be. And look, even if you check the wrong box, it's okay, because as they talk to you, they'll find the right place for you to be in, the right place for you to use your talents and your abilities. And in a few minutes, when the ushers come to receive our offering, you can rip off this card and drop it in the basket and somebody will reach out to you this week. You're also given this card. It said, giving just got easier. And so sometimes the challenge to giving is that it's hard. We don't understand how to use the systems or the tools. And one of the things that New Hope's done an amazing job of doing is simplifying the system. So if you have your cell phone with you, if you have a smartphone, I'm not making you commit to anything. I'm not compelling you to give right now. If you follow these next steps, you're not giving any money. What you're gonna do is just get a text back. So if you open your texting application... And you push in these numbers, 77977. It's pretty easy, it's almost five sevens. 77977. And in the text field, put in your campus identifier. And so it's on the back of this giving card. You can see your campus location, whatever location that you're at. Or it's on the bottom of your program notes, it'll have your campus location identifier. Put that in the field and hit send, and it will send a text back to you with a simple little link. And that only sets you up for the opportunity to give towards a need, to care for your brothers and sisters, to be a river, to bring people from death to life. When you click on that link, if you decide to go ahead and give, it's the easiest thing you'll ever do. It's like 30 seconds from beginning to end to give. And to think that God would use that 30 seconds to potentially change someone's life for eternity. 30 seconds for eternity. When we came together for one day, we were putting our love into action, right? It was all about seeing the people that we cared the most about come to know Jesus as their savior. And it really is about Jesus's sacrifice for us. Him laying down his life for us. Last weekend, we saw 95 people pass from death to life. 95 people. We saw 83 people go public with their faith by getting baptized, by following God in their next step of obedience and their relationship with Him and being baptized. And so, as you listen to this message, and as you think about, am I going to take that card and really rip it off and find a place to serve? Am I, I don't know if I'll really use that text or not. I want you to think about what our sacrifice, our love and action, can begin to do. Check this out.
1: There are some of you
0: who are here today
1: and you are feeling a compulsion on your heart. You are feeling a stirring in your heart. There's some of you right now, you're feeling an intensity that you have never felt before. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ pressing in on you. I've been living in self-will. Uh, my whole life. I was at a really low point. I was really struggling with some addiction issues. You know, I was incarcerated. My life, as I knew it, just completely fell
0: apart. It started with my mother. We went to church every week, and then after she died, I just stopped going altogether. I lost a child, and it shook my faith. A lot of struggles and a lot of hard times that I've had, and God never gave up on me. I've been through situations that nobody (laughs) knows.
1: you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ right now as your Lord and Savior. And so we're all going to pray this together. If this is you, pray this prayer with me. But God, I feel your love and your grace and your mercy right now. God, I am calling out to you. But will you be the Savior of my life?
0: After all these years... Living and uh, I just got on my knees and asked God to forgive me for all my sins.
1: I gave my life over to Christ
0: I feel like he's cleaned all my sins.
1: He asked Jesus into his heart. Rededicated my life. I, know I just want everyone to know that I'm a Christian. For
0: everyone
1: to see brother, brother. what God has done in my life and how he has changed I me. Just to
0: go public with my faith, you know, just to show the world I'm no longer lukewarm. You know, not hot one minute and then cold the next minute. You know, I'm all in. Because I know I'm going to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven now.
1: myself over to you. Will you be my Lord and King? The amazing thing about our faith is we believe God is coming for you. He's seeking you. He is pursuing you before you pursue Him. Love proceeds. Life change. Today, yesterday, I can give my life to him and serve him. How I need to.
0: Yeah. Woo. Isn't that amazing? Come on. Love in action. Yes. Love in action. Isn't that amazing? I love that one guy. I'm not lukewarm anymore. I'm all in. Giving all myself to God. It's been an amazing time to spend together today as believers leaning into that same conversation that John had hundreds and hundreds of years ago. With believers that said, what does it look like to be Christians? John said, love God, love others. And love them the way that God loved us. And it's then that we'll experience the blessed life. Guys, we're not reservoirs. We're not meant to hold on to things. God redeemed us. He saved us. He brought us from death to life so that we could be rivers and open-handed with his love. How many times have we seen churches and people in our community that are reservoirs and there's life right around them but the communities and people around them are dry and barren. Let's not be that church. New Hope Church leaves a different legacy than that. Let's be rivers. Let's be open-handed and grateful for what God's given us. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you and we wanna express our gratitude. We wanna be more like Abel than Cain. We wanna come open-handed. God, we wanna be grateful and realize that you bring all things, that you give all things good. God, that your blessings are like a river. They never dry up. God, thank you for using us. That those stories that we just saw were through using us, letting your blessings flow through us and us opening up and letting go so that other people will spend eternity with you. The scripture says death to life, death to life. 95 times last weekend, death to life. People passed over. We were the bridge. We were the river. We let go of our blessings. And God, it's so hard. We have to be reminded of it often. We often wanna become reservoirs. We wanna hold on to those blessings are so good. But I pray that you would give us the courage not to merely love people by word, but to take a step today when that offering basket goes by, that we drop the card in just for a contact. That we pull out our cell phones and we text that number and we begin to pray about the amount that you would want us to give, that we'd let go of those resources and be the river that you want us to be. And God, when we become rivers, rivers cut deep into the earth. They take water and life to new areas. And God, we pray that you'll use us to take life where there once was death. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.